This episode of Punk Rock HR is sponsored by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Hey, Vadim, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Laurie, good to be back. You were on an episode of Punk Rock HR, and we talked about caregiving. And so let's talk about that today, because there's some updates like on your journey, as Brene Brown would say. So what's going on in your life? Yeah, you know, I am a caregiver for my mom, who has Alzheimer's that is rapidly progressing, which means she's rapidly declining. So up until very recently, I felt like I could kind of manage this on my own. And she has a partner, too. So we kind of swap time with each other so that my mom is never alone. But it's gotten to be quite difficult emotionally, time-wise, and we're at the point now where we need to bring someone into the home. And it's it's sad. It's sad, but it's necessary. And that's just the natural journey of caregiving, too, with this disease. Well, I want to know a little bit about how you're feeling, because I think it's one thing to say, well, my mom's illness is rapidly progressing, but it's another thing to be a caregiver and to really internalize this. So what are you feeling right now, Vadim? Oh, I feel horrible. You know, I tell people all the time, it's surreal. I'm talking to you right now. I'm smiling, but there's what you put out there in the public sphere, but then there's how you feel inside. And those are often, not just for me, for lots of people, for many reasons, those are often two different things. Laura, you know this because we texted about this, but just last night, I basically had a nervous breakdown. I had to run outside the house, call a friend, crying hysterically about my mom, about the current state that she's in. It just was so overwhelming and overpowering as it is every day. So it's tough. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, earlier in the year, you were doing some things to, I don't know, kind of touch your grief, shape your grief, deal with your grief, right? Tell us a little bit about some of the stuff you were doing. Yeah, I mean, I looked up some self-help books and most of them are just trash for me. Yeah, except for betting on you. Absolutely. But betting on you is the non-self-help self-help book, right? Seriously, like grief self-help books, not a good one out there? Um, there's one book that I, or two books that I did find. So I read that book and it really, just spoke to me really well the way it was written it didn't sugarcoat anything it kept things super real that grief is hard grief is not something you get over ever it always stays with you You don't get over it you live with it and I thought that was such a powerful point because so often we talk about grief in ways that well we frankly we don't know how to talk about grief at work in life and so we talk about it as if it's this thing that's time bound but it's not especially in my case because my grief is not a single incident it's not based on that I'm grieving every day as my mom declines every day. So there's real-time grief, anticipatory grief, all of that. So that book really kept it real. And there is a 30-day grief writing course that kind of accompanies the book if one chooses. I took that great prompts to write daily essays on grief. Now I am behind and I am like five months post course, but I am still writing. And I find that it's kind of therapeutic to get in touch with your feelings that way. And I know it sounds kind of hokey, but to process your feelings through writing, I have found to be kind of useful. 
Well, yeah, writing is thinking. And so just because you write something down doesn't mean it's a final draft. So these are your initial thoughts. I'd be curious in a year for you to look back on some of the stuff and see how you feel, see if it still resonates, especially compared with where who knows where you'll be in a year. So I hope you publish your writing. You know, I'm always bugging you to do that. I know you are. And I'm going to say it now so that I can be held accountable to this. I am going to do a blog on this. I can even tell you the name of it. I came up with a name. You know, I'm a big 80s enthusiast. Lost in Emotion, A Journey Through Grief. Wait, tell me who sang Lost in Emotion. It was some girl band, right? Lisa, Lisa, and Cult Jam. Of course, of course. My God, the iconic Lisa, Lisa, and the Cult Jam. Well, all right. So you're going to do this blog post. uh, And you also did some virtual group therapy, right? Isn't that what happened? Yeah, I decided to finally join a support group. And it would have to be virtually for me just because of my schedule, going to my apartment, being at my mom's, not even knowing how to drive to, by the way. I know I'm almost 47 years old, never got a driver's license, and it will stay that way. So I joined a virtual support group that is local, but they do it virtually, and it's through the Alzheimer's Association. And what I found for myself, and everybody's going to be different, I don't know that I personally was able to, just for myself, feel supported in the way that I thought I needed to be or would be, and I don't even know what that even means. But what I did find about it was that I was able, I think, to support others in the group. And there's certainly value to that. Yeah, I'm a little um, a little disappointed in your group experience because I would hope that there would be someone in there that you can connect with. On the other hand, Vadim, you and I both know people and people are often immersed in their own stories. And maybe it's unrealistic to expect someone who is grieving in real time or being a caregiver to be supportive to someone else. Although you were able to do that, maybe it's just unrealistic of me to put that on other people. I don't know. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, again, I feel like everyone's different. I genuinely feel like there are people in that group that probably do feel very supported. They've been in the group for, gosh, I don't even know how long, but a long time. So they keep coming back. I've been kind of lax in returning just because admittedly, I haven't been making it a priority for various even selfish reasons that I'm not really getting much out of it for myself. So perhaps a one-on-one experience with a therapist might be better for me. And that's something that I could try. I don't know. I mean, it's better for everybody. <laughs> like therapy doesn't hurt anybody grieving or not grieving. Like I feel like that's a thing, especially men should do. You know, you and I were talking a little bit about how things are changing with your mom, right? Her illness is rapidly progressing. So what does that mean? I mean, you have, and we're recording this a couple of weeks before it's going to air, but you have the ERE conference coming up. And so you're going to attend that and your mom's partner is going to be home with her. And then what? Like what happens after that? And then the moment I come back, I will do what I have been talking about doing for a long time, which is very much in earnest, working on getting a home aid or caretaker of some sort in the house. We will apply for Medicaid and we'll see if the government can give us more than five seconds of home aid for free. But in the meantime, there are lawyers to call, there's caseworkers to call, and there's various other organizations to call just so I gain the full knowledge that I want. And that's going to happen really quickly to start bringing somebody in because my mom really at this point, she can't do a lot. She can't really do anything, literally anything independently. Again, I know I told you this before, Laurie, but I always thought that for me, that red line that would indicate that, hey, it's time to bring in a caregiver would be toileting my mom. 
and it wasn't. That was surprisingly very easy for her and for me, frankly. I was just kind of surprised pleasantly that it was sort of a non-event when it happened. So I still do that. But what really got to me is what's happening right now, which is that she has too much trouble feeding herself independently. So I am feeding her like she's a baby or a child and that's rough. Yeah, I would imagine. I'm not surprised that you're moved to tears, but I'm surprised that it's the feeding of your mother that has done that. Have you connected that to any sort of event in your life? Do you understand why that's the thing that pushed you over the edge? Probably if I thought about it more deeply, as I am right in this moment. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's why I asked the question. Yeah, in many ways, despite me being an adult, semi-adult sometimes, despite me being an adult, I always see myself as my mom's little boy. So to have that role so starkly, so obviously reversed is difficult to process when now, as I mean, I've been a parent to my parent for years now with her, but there's something that feels way more intimate about feeding someone than even wiping someone that just really demolishes me inside. So you're going to work on getting caregiving for her as the next step. And caregiving is for her, but it's also for you in many ways, correct? I mean, you'll have someone who can dedicate full-time attention to her, but I would imagine that you'll still be involved in this caregiving. Like, it's not like you can outsource this to a caregiver because it's happening in your home, correct? Yeah. So my goal with a caregiver has never been, will never be, to spend less time with my mom. I will still be coming here probably just as often or similar to with a cadence that's similar to what I do now. I spend a lot of time with her. I spend more time here than in the city. And you know, when I say the city, there's only one city in the world. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, it's Philly, right? (laughs) It's New York, everyone. Don't let Lori lie to you. Oh Uh, God, no, I don't think Philly's much of a city. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you just found your haters. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's not about spending less time with her. It's about spending my time differently with her. It's a cliche to say this, but it will enable me to be her son again rather than her caregiver. And that is what I hope will happen. Again, I don't know what that will look like. Certainly, I think about for myself, the lack of privacy in our own home here to contend with. And that is a drawback, but it's a necessary drawback considering the benefit of having the caregiver. That makes sense. So just a couple more questions about this. At some point, your mom may not be able to be cared for in the home. So you talked about applying potentially for Medicaid and getting some help. Are you prepared for that next step? And is that next step a continuum of what you're going through? Or is that going to be a whole new effort? It feels more like a continuum in some ways. I mean, you never know with Alzheimer's. Sometimes there could be plateaus. Sometimes there could be a steep decline. It only goes in one direction no matter what. But my intention is to keep her in the home as long as that's possible. And when she can no longer get the kind of care she needs in home, obviously at that point she would need to go to a facility. It's not going to be assisted living at that point. Even at this point, she cannot live in an assisted living facility because of the various symptoms that the disease has created for her, especially around vision. She has a lot of trouble seeing stuff. So she needs really full-time care. It would be a nursing home at that point. And we'll see. We'll see what Medicaid will pay for versus private pay. But I have always said that it's uh, not that money's not a factor. Money's always a factor. But I will blow through everything to make sure that she gets the care she deserves. 
Yeah. She's lucky to have you, Vadim. I mean, think about, and we've talked about this, how many people out there are navigating this either on their own or they have children that they're no longer in contact with? We don't have a system to care for those people. Do you think about this? Yeah. I mean, I feel like we talk a lot, especially in the world of work, right, about caregiving, but so often it's talked about in the context of parents caring for their young children, paternal, maternal, you know, parental leave benefits, right? But when it comes to caregiving, this is something that we just still do not talk about enough creating the flexibility that people need. But at the end of the day, at the same time, look, work is work. And I don't know. I really don't know what the perfect solution is because there isn't, I don't think. I know in my case, I'm very fortunate to have a role that is completely remote so that I can be with her. I would never take a job that wasn't at this point. That's just too important for me. But I really feel for people who are maybe frontline workers, who cannot stay home, who don't earn a lot. Right. Or people who are disconnected from their families, right? And COVID has exacerbated that. I think about my own parents and it's not like I have this nice, cozy relationship with them. And I mean, I joke around a lot about just like, call me when mom's gone. But of course, I don't mean that, right? And I feel like there are so many people, though, who do have that fractured relationship with their children and don't have anybody to look out for them. So, I mean, I'm grateful you're there for your mom. And I don't know, I hope you're there for me too, Vadim. Who's going to be there for me? Uh, As you were speaking, I was just thinking about who's going to be there for me. I mean, listen, I'm an only child. I'm going to need someone to change my diaper. You will too. We'll change each other's diapers in some nursing home when we're 85. That's how it's going to have to be. That's how I'm going to have to win the Powerball for this. So... Oh my goodness. Well, Vadim, you know, I'm always thinking about you and I'm really grateful that you shared a little bit about your update today. Thank you again for that. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. We are proudly underwritten by the Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Punk Rock HR is produced and edited by RepCap with special help from Michael Thibodeau and Devin McGrath. For more information, show notes, links, and resources, head on over to punkrockhr.com. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. Punk Rock HR.